Well, if you have your Bibles, hopefully uh, we're going to turn to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to look tonight at the first 17 verses here of Romans 1. And the title of my message is, What Really Matters? And, um, and I'll get to in just a moment why I titled it that way. But, you know, this letter was written by Paul, the Apostle Paul, around 57 A.D. Um, and the book of Romans, this letter, is unique uh, from, other, from Paul's other letters in that it's written to a church he didn't plant. He, it's written to a group of people he had never been to their city. He had never gone to minister to these people. So he had no personal relationship with this church. Um, there were some in the church he knew, and he mentions those here at the, end of the, at, at the end of Romans. He sends greetings to them. There were some, but most of them were strangers to him. So so the opening words to me take on special significance as they are his introduction of himself to people that haven't met him. And so that's why I titled this What Really Matters because I think these opening verses, these are things that really matter because these are the first things that Paul wanted to convey to this group of people that he had not met, to this group of people that he had not yet uh, had an opportunity to minister to. Um, so we'll see in these verses what's nearest and dearest to his heart as a servant of Jesus as we look at him, at them, <clears throat> the things that have spiritual and eternal value um, as we see these verses, we'll see those. So beginning here in the first verse, Romans chapter 1, there Paul says, Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated to the gospel of God. And so right off, we see Paul's relationship with Christ. He gives us there. Paul, Paul immediately begins by sharing about this relationship he has with the Lord. And the way he describes it, first of all, there in verse 1, is that he's a servant of Christ. He calls himself a bondservant. And that's, that word bondservant means servant. It means slave. It means one. Uh, it's the Greek word doulos. And it means one who is solely committed to another. And so Paul wanted to convey to these believers that this is how he viewed himself, was that he was a slave of Christ. He was one committed to Jesus Christ. And, you know, his slavery was one of his own choosing. It wasn't against his will that he had become a slave. You know, on the road, of Dam on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, we see the encounter that Paul had with Christ. And in that encounter there, Paul willingly submitted to the Lord and to the Lord's call and committed to following Jesus. And so his master is unlike any other. And, and how, is, how is that the case? Why is that the case? Well, I think 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 kind of give us understanding of that and how Jesus is a master unlike any other. There Peter says, knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. And so there, Peter gives us insight, right, into Jesus being a master unlike any other. You know, Paul wasn't bought with um, silver or gold. He was bought with the precious blood of Christ. Christ laid down his life for Paul, and thus Paul willingly submitted himself and, and, and surrendered to being his slave and to him being his master. 
Um, Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this. He says to us, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And so that's the call for us as believers, right? Is to recognize that our slavery to the Lord is something unique because he bought us with his precious blood. He laid his life down for us to purchase us, to redeem us. And this is why Paul you know, is right off the bat, you can see he's very proud to be called a bondservant of Jesus Christ. He wanted them to know that first and foremost, that this is who I am. I'm his slave. And so as I was thinking about this myself, and I, you know, I was asking my, myself this question, and I encourage you to ask yourself the same. You know, do I live like I'm a slave of Christ? Does my life look like one who's in slavery to him. And, you know, one of the ways I think we can see whether we are living as a slave to Christ is are we walking in obedience to him and to what he's calling us to do? Is my life, is your life surrendered to what his spirit is leading us to do? You know, that is a real mark of, of whether we're a true slave of Christ is just are we being obedient? Are we yielding to his spirit are we saying yes to those things that he tells us to do and, and not making excuses for not doing them, right? Because um, he, he doesn't want our excuses. He wants our obedience. And so we, you know, need to examine our lives. Are we like Paul, one who's proud of the fact that we get to serve Christ, that we get to yield to him, that he is our Lord and he is our master? So the first thing he tells him again, that he's a bondservant. Secondly, in that verse, we see that he's called to be an apostle. Paul was called by the Lord and sent out by him. This is a truth, I think, that Paul never lost sight of or got over in his life, was that he had been called by Jesus to do what he was doing. And that propelled him on in ministry. He says in 2 Timothy 1.9, and 2 Timothy 1.9, you know, is written at the end of Paul's life, and there he says, speaking of Jesus, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. And so there, Paul, an aged saint, is reflecting on the fact that he was called with a holy calling by the Lord, that Jesus had called him into ministry and, you know, it's so important, I think, for each of us as believers to recognize that God has called us into his service. And it's not just for the Apostle Paul. It's not just for our pastor. It's not just for the missionary who's gone out on the field. This is for every believer. Not only has every believer been called to be a slave of Christ and yield to him, but we've been called by him to be one sent out by him for his purposes and for his glory. And we gotta, we gotta be careful not to lose sight of that. It's not insignificant that we've been called by him. In fact, who is it again that's called us? It's the king of kings, is the one who's called us into his service. And we as his children get to, get to follow him and we get to serve him. And so again, these are things Paul felt really mattered and he wanted to convey to them. And then thirdly, there in that verse, he says he's separated to the gospel. 
And that set word separ separated means to select one person out of a group for a purpose, to set apart, to appoint. And so it's definitely connected to the call of being an apostle in his life. But Paul realized that he had been separated out from his people by the Lord for the purpose of declaring the gospel to the Gentiles, for being a faithful witness to the world. And, you know, again, the same thing I think applies to us. We've been separated out. We've been set apart. You know, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about um, your life and the fact that God's called you. <laughs> you know, uh, I think something that maybe we don't get to do often enough is just get away and just think how amazing it is that the King of Kings has separated you and me out to be his and to be used by him for his glory. I mean, you think of all the millions and billions of people on the face of the earth and how many of them don't know who Jesus is and they don't know about a relationship with him, but you know and I know and we've been set apart. We've been called by him into his service and, um, you know, that alone should cause us just to fall on our knees and worship, you know, that he has called us and separated us because who am I, right? Who are any of us that the Lord would, would do that for us? That he would call us out to, and separate us out from all others to be used for him and for his purposes. And so Paul here again in verse 1, I think, is just conveying to these believers just these important things about his relationship with the Lord. And that leads us here um, into some other things that he wanted to communicate to these believers. And the second point I have here is God's faithfulness. He wanted to remind them of the faithfulness of God. And I'm just going to read verses 2 through 4. It says, Which he promised before through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. And so right off there um, in, verse, in verse 2, in the first part of verse 3, he tells us that God sent his Son, and, you know, that was something that had been promised by the Lord through the prophets uh, from the very beginning. The Lord had promised he would send him, and the Lord was faithful to that promise. Way back in Genesis 3.15, God promised there to Eve that he would send a deliverer. And that God, God reiterated that promise through with the prophets down in generations to come. And Paul now is reflecting back on the fact that God was faithful to it. He had done just as he said he would do. He mentions here some important things about who Jesus is in talking about this. Um, first, he mentions that, humanly speaking, Jesus was a descendant of David. Again, a fulfillment of a promise, because God had told David that, he would, that he would, his seed would sit upon a throne. And that, part of that is still yet to be fulfilled. That's why we as a church believe in a literal reign of Christ, that Christ is going to reign for a thousand years on this earth, because that's what God promised to David. <clears throat> so it was a fulfillment of that, but again, it was also a fulfillment, again, of all the promises that Jesus had promised down through the ages that he would send a deliverer. And it's the fact that he was a human and a descendant of David also meant that he was a descendant of Adam, and that matters. He had to be a, a human he had to have human flesh. He had to be fully man. 
And Paul will go on, we won't look at it here tonight in chapter 5 to explain why that matters. Why it mattered for Jesus to be human. He had to be the second Adam. In order for him to take our place on the cross, he had to be fully human. In order for him to be our substitute, in order for him to be our kinsman redeemer. And so, right again, Paul's at the very beginning introducing himself. He's declaring to them, hey, Jesus was born in the seed of David according to the flesh. And that was the, the end of the story. So he sent his son. That's part of God's faithfulness. The second part is seen in the, rec, the resurrection's declaration uh, there in verse 4. And it says, declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So Jesus was not only human, but he was declared to be God's son. And how do we know that? Because he, he was resurrected. He rose again. And this is why, I mean, it's beyond me, <laughs> why some who would call themselves Christians would be comfortable with saying that the resurrection doesn't really matter. You know, we don't know, it doesn't really matter, or it's not, it's not significant to our faith, they would say. Well, that's a lie. It's a lie. Because Paul declares here that without the resurrection, we would not know that he was the son of God. It's what declares, it's what sets him apart. And that word um, declares there is this word that relates to horizon. It's like means set apart. And so it declared, the resurrection declared and set apart that, he had, look, he is the son of God. He is the only one ever to be raised from the dead in this manner. And it's Jesus Christ. And he said he would be raised from the dead. And, and so by that, you know, he was, he was a true prophet. You know, on Sunday, Pastor Troy shared with us about the exchange Jesus had with religious leaders in John 8, 53 through 59. And in that exchange, Jesus claimed, right, to be God. And if that, if, if that were not true, then God would not have raised him from the dead. And, but Indeed, as Paul tells us here, God raised Christ from the dead, and by such, we know that he's declared to be the Son of God. There is no other. Jesus Christ is alive, and he is by that verified to be who he claimed to be, to be the one that we can put all of our hope in. And, you know, don't ever let anyone tell you, again, that the resurrection doesn't matter. I mean, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you know, if if Christ isn't raised, then we are, of all people, most miserable. Because that is the foundation of our faith. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we have no hope. But because he did rise from the grave, we do have hope. And we'll talk about more of that here at the end. That's a very significant part of the gospel. And what the gospel is, is the declaration that Jesus rose from the dead. And so Paul there again, he declares to them who Jesus is, that Jesus is the Son of God because of his resurrection. And then in verse 5 through 7, he begins to talk about some gifts that are for all believers. And, um, and so we're going to talk about some things here that we're familiar with. But my prayer and heart, you know, in this is that we just be encouraged tonight and be reminded of these gifts that the Lord has given to us as his children, as his church. And so verse 5, he goes on to say, Through him, through Jesus Christ, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. 
among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ, to all who are in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. And so Paul tells them that he and they and us have received grace and apostleship. God has given you and I his favor and sent us out with a purpose in this world. Um, you know, the basis for receiving his grace here, Paul declares, and this is the message really uh, of the book of Romans and so much of the New Testament, the basis for the grace is Jesus Christ. It's not what they had done or could do or what we could accomplish. It is Jesus Christ. It's through him that we have received grace. And we have been given these things, though, uh, as you can go on and see there, not just for our, our sakes. You know, he goes on to tell us for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. So we've been given grace. We've been given um, apostleship, but it's not just for our sake alone. It's for others as well. And I think that's something that was really on the mind of Paul. And he talks about it there in verse 14, which we'll get to in a little bit, where he talks about being a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. While it's important for us, I think, to relish the salvation we've been given and to enjoy it, it's just as important that we be careful not to be selfish with it. And to recognize that the Lord has given it to you and to me, yes, for us, but also for others, so that we may declare to others what God has done in our lives, the wonderful salvation that he has given to us. And so we have to be careful that we don't allow ourselves to be selfish. And the end result of us, you know, being willing to share that with others is there at the end of verse 5, is for his name. You know, the Lord will get the glory from our lives. The Lord will be magnified as we give our lives away and as we share this news of what the Lord has done for us as we share it with others. And so these two of the gifts are grace, the favor of the Lord, and the second there in verse five is apostleship. We've been sent out by him. And I see those as gifts of the Lord. And then there in verses six and seven, in the first part of verse seven, we're called, told that we are called and loved. You know, as a believer tonight, you're here because Jesus called you. You know, you're not here because, and I'm not here because we were so smart that we figured it out. We're here tonight because Jesus called us into his family. He, he, there was a day in our life where we heard the Spirit of God call and we answered it. And I can remember that day for myself as a seven-year-old uh, young man of realizing that I was a sinner and I needed salvation. And that was the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And the Lord allowed me to realize my need and after the service I had the opportunity to ask my dad about it. And my dad, you know, shared with me from the word of God how I could have my sins forgiven and how I could have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that was because, again, though, of the Holy Spirit, God called me. And so tonight, you sitting here as a believer is because God called you. God made declared to you his truth and called you into his family. Note here, I want to read a, a Wearsby on this. And he says, note the repetition of the word called. Paul was called to be an apostle, which he mentions there in verse 1. The believers were the called of Jesus Christ, and they were also called saints. Salvation is not something that we do for God. It is God who calls us in his grace. 
And it's important for us to remember that, that this calling, being called, is, God's, is a gift of God to us. 1 Peter 2.9, there Peter says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You know, we were dead in our sin, right, when the Lord called us. We were living in darkness, and he called And not only did he call us, but look at what he calls us there in verse 7. He calls us saints. Now, um, I'm going to read a quote here from Spurgeon on this. He says, you notice the words to be are put in by translators, but though they are supplied, they're not really necessary to the sense. These believers in Rome were called saints. They were not called because they were saints, but they became saints through the calling. And so... um, you know, these believers and us too, we're, we're the saints of God, not because of what we've accomplished and done, but because the Lord called us, called us into his family and redeemed us. And now we are saints. We are those set apart for his purpose. And that is a gift of, of the Lord, this calling upon our lives. And the fact that, um, that he now, the other thing I want to point out to you uh, here in verse 7, where Paul tells them, that they're beloved of God. Um, you know, what an amazing thing for, to, to think upon and to contemplate, that we're beloved of God. He, yes, he called us, but the reason he called us is because he loved us. He called us because he loved us. That word beloved means pertaining to one who is dearly loved, dear, beloved, prized, valued. And that is what the Spirit of God was prompting Paul to convey to them and to us is that we are valued by the Lord. We are beloved of God. And um, this, is, I think, is so important for us to recognize this in our relationship with him, of just how much he loves us and how valued we are. And I think it's one of the first things the enemy attacks in our lives, this truth, because the enemy wants us to doubt that the Lord truly loves us. And, you know, when, when you're going through a trial, one of the first things the enemy wants to do is to call into question God's love for you and wants to cause us to doubt whether God really does love us. And, but the reminder, the important thing, the truth here conveyed by the Spirit of God is that you are beloved of God. You know, John, the Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1, the first part, He says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. And, you know, I love that passage. Um, I like to try, when I read Scripture, to think about who is writing this verse. And I think, obviously, I know the Spirit of God works uh, for Scripture to be written, but the Spirit of God also used the experiences of these men and, and, and who they were. And so here's the Apostle John. You know, he was one of the few apostles that in the end stood around the cross and watched Jesus give the ultimate sacrifice, watched him lay down his life. They, he, John watched the insults that were hurled at him. He watched the, the mockery and he watched the shame that was, that was put upon Christ and the blood pouring out of his life and his very life being given up in the end and dying, John witnessed that. 
And I'm sure that was on his mind when he wrote 1 John 3, 1, when he says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed. Like, this is a love that is beyond our, our understanding apart from the Spirit's help. It's a love that's not of this world. It's a love that we aren't able to show to others apart from the Lord's help. I mean, this is another world, a world, a love of another world, and it's come down to us from God. And we need to remember this. We need to remember how much he loves us and how much he cares for us. And then, so Paul goes on from that, talking about beloved of God, uh, talking about their calling, and he goes on to, to mention again the grace and peace from God. And so this is, I know, a very familiar uh, way in which Paul would greet, and the early church as well seemed to greet one another, was to say grace and peace. And so Paul here, again, uh, reminds them of the grace of God and introduces the reminder about the peace of God. And, you know, this is more than just a kind greeting from Paul. You know, these are gifts given to us by the Lord through our relationship with Jesus Christ, his grace again, his favor, and his peace. And, you know, the Lord wants us as his children to be experiencing his grace and his peace in our daily lives. And so Paul would typically, in most every one of his letters, he would always bring up, and greet people in the grace and peace of the Lord. And again, these are things that matter. These are these first things that Paul was wanting to, to say to these believers that had never met him. And so, you know, I pray that just in looking at those verses, that we're just encouraged tonight to remember what it is we have in our relationship with the Lord, that we've been called by him, that we're dearly loved by him, we've been shown his grace, and he has a purpose for our lives. And that brings us now to some other things that Paul wanted to convey. And um, in verse um, 8 through 13, Paul begins to convey his heart for these believers. And I'm just going to go ahead and read these verses, 8 through 13. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means not last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Now I don't, do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often plan to come to you but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. So we see here, Paul kind of turns to um, his focus in conveying to them his heart for them. And one of the things I want to begin to point out there in verse 8 is he begins by telling, telling them that he's thankful for them. Paul wanted to, them to know that he was thankful for them and for their faith. And, you know... This really just stood out to me that Paul was thankful for something so simple as their faith and the testimony of that faith throughout the world. And um, it, it just stirred my heart to think about the truth that, you know, our faith is not something that's insignificant to the Lord. You know, the Lord cares that we have faith. Having faith matters to the Lord. And so here are these uh, Roman believers, you know, they're in the heart of the Roman Empire, right? 
They're in probably one of the most hostile places in that time um, to the gospel and to Christianity here in, here in Rome. And Paul had heard of their faith, and they, despite the challenges, had maintained their faith in Christ. So much so, again, they were known throughout the world, Paul says, for their faith. And, you know, again, as I just mentioned, faith matters to the Lord. You know, don't see simply walking by faith in the midst of trials and, uh, and uncertainty as a small thing. It's of great significance to the Lord that we continue to walk by faith. In fact, faith is so important to the Lord that he said to us that without it, it's what? Impossible, right? It's impossible to please him. That without faith, it is impossible to please him. And, you know, Paul doesn't mention the size of their faith or how grand it was. He just mentions that their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. And, you know, um, again, looking back at the ministry of Jesus, I was reminded of the encounter he had with a man who acknowledged and said to him, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. And, and what you see in that encounter is Jesus doesn't dismiss the small faith that the guy had. You know, he honored it and answered the guy's request. And so here, again, opening words to people Paul had never met, Paul is expressing his thankfulness that they, are, they have faith, that they have faith in the Lord, and that faith has known throughout the world. And so I guess my heart there is just, I want to encourage us tonight, you know, don't see your faith in the Lord as a small thing, an insignificant thing. You know, stay steadfast in your faith. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. And, you know, and when you're struggling, ask the Lord, Lord, help my unbelief. You know, help me to keep my eyes on you and continue to trust in you and know that the Lord is pleased with faith. You know, and again, it's not the amount of our faith. It's like where is it, it, what matters is where is the faith placed? Is the faith placed in Jesus and in God? Then that's what matters. It doesn't matter how big the faith is. It matters where it's placed. And their faith was placed in Jesus Christ. And for that, Paul was thankful for them. And then secondly, he expresses his heart to them by the fact that of his continual prayers for them. You know, he mentions there that he did not cease to make mention of them in his prayers. And, you know, this would have been a big encouragement to these believers to find out that the Apostle Paul, who I'm sure that, again, they had heard of, they knew who he was, and for him to tell them that he's praying for them, that he was not ceasing to make mention of them to the Lord in his prayers. And, um, you know, I hope you don't, but if, if you do, then you need to stop. Don't take for granted if somebody tells you they're praying for you. I mean, what an amazing thing to know that somebody's praying for you. And I know for myself, that is the most wonderful thing for me to hear, that somebody just to share that they've been praying for me. You know, it's such an encouragement to know that that happened, because one of the things it tells me is it expresses, one, their care and love for me, but secondly, and more importantly, it's a reminder that the Lord hasn't forgotten. Because I'm trusting that the Lord is the one who put that on their heart to pray for me. And so uh, may we not, as believers, take for granted 
praying for one another or the fact that someone is praying. And, you know, it's so important, again, we don't be dismissive of it. (laughs) You know, be thankful and be faithful to pray. And I share this all the time in the connection class. Um, You know, to me, one of the most beautiful things that happens here on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night is to see people just praying for one another before or after a service. And I just, you know, may we just continue to grow in that. May that always be the first thing we're doing as a church when somebody tells us about a need that we pray, that we pray and ask the Lord for that need. And yes, there's time to take action. Yes, there's time for us to do things. But may it always be the first thing we do is pray and lift, lift the need to the Lord. And so um, Paul's telling them, you know, first he's told them he's thankful for them. Secondly, he's telling them that he's praying. And then lastly, the way he expresses his love for them is his desire for fellowship with them. Now, Paul shows his heart for them by expressing that desire. That's, that's what he's expressing there in verses 11 through 13. He wanted to go and see them so that he could encourage them and at the same time receive encouragement himself. He wanted to be in fellowship with them so that that would happen. And this is what should happen every time when believers get together, is when we get together as the body of Christ, we, there should be encouragement happening. We should be encouraged and refreshed. And, you know, Paul wasn't, I don't think, expressing to himself here, uh, expressing to them that, you know, it was all about him coming and blessing them. Because there in verse 12, again, he says that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. And so Paul, as the apostle who God had greatly used, recognized he needed to be encouraged. Not only did he need to encourage them, but he needed to receive encouragement himself. And so no matter who we are, no matter how long we've walked with the Lord, you know, no matter how much the Lord uses you, you still need the encouragement of the saints. You still need fellowship with other believers. And I think we see that here from the Apostle Paul. So that brings us here to verses 14 and 15, where um, Paul begins to express his debt. And he says, I'm a debtor both to the to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. Paul here calls himself a debtor. And that word in the Greek means one who's under obligation in a moral or social sense. One under obligation, one liable for. And so Paul had the view that he was under obligation to preach the gospel to whomever he could have the opportunity to preach the gospel, whether they were, no matter where they, where they were from, no matter their background or who they were, Paul considered himself a debtor to them. And I like the fact here, you know, um, that Paul points out that says that he's a debtor to them. I mean, yes, he and us are, in, are debtors to the Lord. We owe the Lord everything, but we could never pay the Lord back. <laughs> for what he's done for us. And so I don't think we should take this as Paul was trying to pay back the Lord. He just realized he was, because of this amazing gift that God had given to him and saving him and calling him out of darkness, he realized, I gotta share this with other people. I gotta tell other people 
about what the Lord has done and the wonderful salvation that he offers to them. Um, again, because the Lord had called him out of darkness. You know, he was thinking, I think, here about the fact that he was one of, once one of those people. He was one who was once lost. And that's what drove him to want to share and to feel indebted to share the gospel with these who had not heard it. Now, notice Paul's words in verse 15. Paul there says, I am ready. And Spurgeon wondered if Paul didn't use the words, I'm ready, as his motto. Almost the first words out of his mouth when he was saved were, Lord, what do you want me to do? In Acts chapter 9, verse 6. Paul was ready to preach and to serve, which we see here in Romans 1.15. He says, I'm ready. In Acts 21.13, we find that Paul was ready to suffer. And then in 2 Corinthians 10.6, we find that Paul was ready to do unpleasant work. And then lastly, in 2 Timothy 4.6, we find that Paul was ready to die. And so that was the life of the Apostle Paul. He's like, I'm ready. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ, and so I'm ready. <laughs> I'm ready to do whatever he would have for me to do. And so, you know, may that be my heart and your heart, that we're just ready <laughs> We're ready for whatever the Lord has for us to do and completely yielded to the leading of his spirit in our lives. And as such, right, the Lord will ask us to do um, uncomfortable things. <laughs> the Lord will all, don't, don't expect to wait for it to be comfortable as, as a sign that you're ready to go do what God's calling you to do. Because rarely, I'll just testify in my life, rarely have I, has there ever been anything the Lord's asked me to do that I feel comfortable doing. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's just not the case. What I feel comfortable doing is staying kind of in my house most of the time and just maybe being around few people. Um, I certainly don't feel comfortable standing in front of a whole bunch of people talking. That's not, that's not what I feel comfortable doing. But that's okay, because it's what the Lord wants me to do. And so what does the Lord want you and I to do? And may we have the heart of Paul and just say, I'm ready, Lord. I'm ready. Whatever it is, whatever you're calling me to. And so that, as we bring, wrap it up here tonight, verses 16 and 17, brings us to you know, Paul's thesis for the book of Romans. Verses 16 and 17, and let me read those. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here, Paul boldly declares that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And what is the gospel? Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 4 this is the most succinct uh, description of the gospel. Paul there says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures. And that's the gospel. <laughs> that's the gospel message that we're called to declare to others. And 
I think, again, I like to think in light of the situation here. Paul's talking to Roman believers, and he's desiring to go there and to preach the gospel in that city. And he's saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. And think about the context of that. Who was it that crucified Christ? It was the Roman Empire, right? And, and others participated in it, but it was a Roman execution. It was execution on the cross. Jesus died as a capital, as a capital punishment in that day under the hands of the Roman government. And that's where Paul wants to go proclaim the message of the gospel about this one who they executed who has, was buried and who rose again, and he's not ashamed of that. And you think about those people that would have heard is like, you want to tell us about a guy that our government executed? Like, what's up with that? But Paul wasn't worried about what they thought. He was like, I'm going to declare to you this because it's the truth. And he wrote, and then and he has risen again, and he is the only savior of the world. So, Notice how Paul describes the gospel here. He says that it is the power of God to salvation. You know, the gospel, um, I'll quote here from one commentator, the gospel is not advice to people, suggesting that they lift themselves. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power and God's power at that. And so we need to remember this. The gospel is the power of God, you know? There's no, no power anywhere else than in the gospel message. And, you know, I, I'm irritated at times with myself about this, and I see it too often, I feel like, in my life in the church down through uh, the years is that how little sometimes I and we can believe that, that it is the power of God, like, we can fall prey to believing that some person in their situation cannot be saved and not, cannot be changed. But that's not the truth. It, this is the power of God. And it is so powerful that when it comes in contact with a dead, lifeless person, it brings them to life. And it changes them. And it, and it radically changes them, so much so that Paul says that if anyone is in Christ, he's what? New creation, right? He's a new creation. It's not, you're, we're not bound to be defeated. <laughs> no believer is bound to be defeated by the things of their past. No believer is stuck in being where God found them. All of us, because of the power of the gospel, are able and should be radically changed by Jesus Christ. And that is what's to be the testimony to the world, for the world to see. And I love the simplicity of it there, right? How is that power delivered? It's delivered simply by believing, as it says, for everyone who believes. And Paul goes on in Romans chapter 10 to say, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. It's available to every single person Everyone, anybody can receive this, and it received this awesome dynamite power of God is received by faith, by simply believing. And it's what happened in my life, it's what's happened in your life if you know Jesus Christ. You were transformed, and I was transformed simply by believing in the message of the gospel. That's what changed our lives. 
And Paul goes on there in verse 17 to say, For in it, the gospel, that's the it he's referring to, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. So in the gospel, God's righteousness is revealed. And one of the ways I think that's revealed is in the fact that um, God, in his righteous holiness, had to judge sin in order to be righteous. He had to judge sin. And so his solution to that and still being able to, re to redeem us was to send his son. And in his son, God judged sin. Took our, he took our place so that we could be forgiven, so that God's righteous judgment could be satisfied and he could then show us grace and not give us what we deserve. And so that's God's righteousness is revealed into it. And Paul's declaration there at the end of that is the just shall live by faith. And, you know, it, it takes faith to start the relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's faith by faith that we continue to walk with him until the day he calls us home. It's by daily walking by faith. And so, you know, my encouragement to us tonight in this is like, these are the things that really matter. You know, these are the things I think that really matter because Paul wanted to make them known right off the bat to these individuals. He wanted them to know these things. He wanted them to know how he was a slave of Christ. I mean, imagine that today, right? The, the latest, greatest uh, person wanting to be made known that they're a slave. That's not the world's method, but that's God's design, you know? And, and emphasizing the, the need of salvation, declaring the resurrection, and that the power of God is found in the gospel message. And so, you know, may we remember these things. May we be steadfast and not lose heart. You know, may we, you know, don't just, and again, I just want to, this is just on my heart here as we wrap up. Don't despise or look down on the fact of faith in your life. You know, if you've trusted Jesus and you're walking with him by faith, the Lord honors that. And the Lord cares about it. And so don't, don't look down on that in your life. Don't look down on it in other people's lives. And expect the power of the gospel to continue to change your life. Expect that. We need to, we should expect it. Because that's what God wants us to do. He doesn't want us to stay who we were. He wants to continue to change us. And, you know, and, and his goal for us, right, it can be any higher. His goal for us is to be like Jesus. He wants to conform you and me to the image of his son. And that's his desire for us. And that's what I want for my life. And I trust it's what you want for your life. So if the worship team can come, come up, we're going to close in a word of prayer. Um, we'll be up here to pray with you. Um, if the Lord's working in your heart about anything, I just encourage you to come forward tonight and allow one of us to pray for you. So let me just close in prayer. Father, Lord, I thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, I thank you for the power of the gospel, Lord, in our lives. I thank you that, Lord, you didn't leave us, Lord, where you found us, Lord, that you used your, your power to transform us, Lord, and take us from darkness to light, from death to life, Lord. Thank you for that in our lives, Lord. Thank you that you called us, Lord, you showed us grace. You've given us a purpose, Lord. Thank you that we're dearly loved by you. And I just pray, Lord, these things would just encourage our hearts tonight. Lord, refresh us. Lord, if anyone is weary tonight and discouraged, Lord, I pray these things would just remind them and bring encouragement to their spirit. 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to afresh, Lord, just fix our eyes upon you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.